The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 234. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a time lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart team. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Position us. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing The Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe, the 2011 Christmas special. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Who. And retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and leave us comments in both places. We love to hear from you. All right, as I said, this is the 2011 Christmas special. Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what this story was? The story so far. It is, <laughs> it is World War II, and to return a favor for a newly widowed woman who once helped him out, the doctor arranges a Christmas adventure for her and her children in a country house. But... Things go wrong when the children open their present early, as children do, and it turns out to be a dimensional portal to a forest of Christmas trees on another planet in the future. Things go even more wrong when it turns out that the Christmas trees are about to be melted by acid rain, and the souls of the Christmas trees are trying to evacuate before that happens. They therefore need to enter and possess someone and fly their spaceship into the time vortex so they can get out among the stars. And yes, this makes no sense. But (laughs) the only person strong enough to be possessed for Christmas by the trees of the entire forest is the woman the doctor is helping because she's a mother. So they possess her for Christmas, and she flies them through the time vortex. She then has to keep thinking, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, (laughs) to get back to Kansas. I mean... England in 1941, and on the way, she materializes over the channel long enough to let her husband fly his plane back through the time vortex after her so that he ends up not dead and she not a widow. She then scolds the doctor into into going to see Amy and Rory for Christmas and tell them that he's not dead. The end. (laughs) Because it's Stephen Moffat and no one ever dies. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, That's a good... That is a really good uh, summary, Jimmy. So let's talk about this one. First, what the heck does this have to do with the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Like, besides going through a thing into a forest, is that it? Well, it also has, it's set in World War II, and there are children who have left the city to escape uh, the the Blitz. Okay. And then they find this magical box that lets them into this fantasy Another world. Yeah. yeah, so so it is clearly meant to be based on the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and then Moffat ruins it. Yeah. 
<laughs> and, and for multiple reasons, one of them being that the bo- the magic box is not the TARDIS. Yeah, right. It that's if if clearly if you're gonna do if you're gonna take a classic children's book and adapt it into your Christmas special, do what you did last time. Mm-hmm. A Christmas Carol was the best Doctor Who in my mind, the best Doctor Who Christmas special of all time. Mm-hmm. Because it took the source material so seriously, you had mm-hmm. effectively Ebenezer Scrooge, and then you had him visit, visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future using time travel, which is what mm-hmm. the show is about. So if you've got, if you're going to do the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, number one, don't have mom around. Mm-hmm. Right. It should it should be kids. Yep. And number two, have the doctor play the role of Aslan and have mm-hmm. him do a self sacrifice. Yep. And you can bring in a, 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 an evil witch as, uh, you know, the villain for the episode, and she can be an alien if you want. And, but the TARDIS needs to be the wardrobe. And, he, and yeah. that, is, that is so obvious that when the little girl goes up to the doctor's bedroom in the country house and she sees the TARDIS and says, why do you have a, a blue box in your room? He says, it's my wardrobe. So mm-hmm. it's, it's obvious to everyone <laughs> Including the writer. (laughs) Including the writer that the TARDIS should be the wardrobe, and they should get to the magic land by going in there. It could even be as simple as, you know, we have holodeck malfunctions on on Star Trek. You could have a TARDIS interior malfunction. The Doctor periodically changes the the desktop for the TARDIS. (laughs) Maybe he's got a Christmas Wonderland desktop. Sure. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be funny, actually. That'd be great. Yeah. So, there are aspects of this story that I like. There are some emotional beats in this. There, you know, there are some, you know, moments, uh, character moments that are okay. But the story is a mess. Like it's mm-hmm. just there. Are, there is plenty of things that don't make any sense at all. Like right from the beginning, like the fact that the Doctor is abandoning this spaceship that he's blowing up. That's attack because it's attacking Earth, and so he dives out of the spaceship into space the vacuum of space where he's yelling and chasing down a spacesuit in order to survive impact you know re-entry it just it it doesn't make any sense well yeah so and and that you know spaceship that he destroys has no relevance to the rest of the story mm, right so its only purpose is to provide a dramatic opening to obey the rule of something interesting must happen before the opening credits to hook right. the audience and they're doing, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not a big fan of this franchise, but they're doing a James Bond riff here. Because mm-hmm. I believe there's a James Bond movie where James Bond is jumping out of an airplane and must put on a parachute as he jumps out. Yeah. And that's yeah. what they're doing with, with I, a space suit here. Well, probably Mission Impossible with, which, with the Tom Cruise one. Oh, Because okay. I think this one that was not too far before this, mm-hmm. where he started the, 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 the movie by doing that. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah, some, some kind of some kind of spy thing. In terms of yeah. the yelling, I assume like the TARDIS, this ship has an air envelope around it that he's not outside of yet. That's sure. why he needs to get the suit on. Sure, <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then um, the helmet—it's apparently a very uh, 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 what, what is he adaptable suit because he, he, you're managed you, to put the he- helmet on backwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then couldn't get it off because crash protection or something, something. Well, the suit apparently repairs the person inside it when they when they have a trauma or something along those lines. 
we have a funny interaction with the she kind of comes across as ditzy early on mm-hmm. they, they play mm-hmm. off madge as as kind of ditzy and you know someone who takes and strays a lot etc cetera, etc cetera. um and then we jump ahead to as you said jimmy to to you know the the war uh madge has got the telegram that her husband is dead she doesn't want to tell the kids and ruin christmas for them uh, this and, and not, not not just ruin christmas this is actually was i thought okay in the writing yeah she doesn't want to ruin Christmas for them forever, right? Right. Because if 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 they learn about their dad dying right before Christmas, then it will ruin Christmas for them every year for the rest of their yeah. lives. Right. The only, yes. The only problem I have with that is instead of saying, "Well, he's still got to be serving. He he won't be able to come home on Christmas vacation." She's like, "Oh yeah, he'll be waiting for us. He'll be waiting for us." It's like so you're lying to the kids in a way that can be proved in about five seconds. <laughs> right. Right. This, you know, right, it, just say he can't come say, home. Yeah. It'd be one thing to say, no, you know, he was supposed to get, you know, Christmas leave. However, they needed him to fly another sortie, so he can't come back. Right. Or something. But like, but, but you're setting yourself up for, yeah. okay, you told him he told us he'd be here. Like, it, it was unnecessary. Um, the doctor shows up and pretends to be the caretaker for the house. And she doesn't recognize him, of course, because he had the helmet on backwards and she never saw his face. And I, I kind of like the whole, like, if the doctor could set up a house for kids to have, a, like, a, a magical playland, and this is what it would be. You know, there'd be a tap mm-hmm. in the kitchen that has lemonade and the most awesome magical bedroom ever, including instead of beds, there are hammocks that hang from the ceiling. I, I kind of like some of that stuff. I That was my best memory of this from the one time I'd previously watched mm-hmm. it. That was my the sequence that I enjoyed the most. Yeah. It didn't wear well. I I, I yeah. found it much less uh, much less engaging this time, the second time through. Right. And the doctor, after he shows them each amazing thing, he has this tagline of "I know," like it's <laughs> yeah. the great the greatest thing ever. And that that just really grated on me this time. Mm-hmm. I I it, maybe the first time you see it, it's a little more impressive, but I did not find it aged well. In right. fact, I have a, an overall. I guess, point I'd like to make about this episode, which is this would never have been accepted at for anything other than a Christmas episode. Yes. That you would never put this in the middle of a season. And it's not because Christmas is super essential to the plot. It's not. It's essentially window dressing, mm-hmm. just like it is in some of the other Doctor Who specials. It just happens to occur at Christmas time. Right. But there's nothing about Christmas that is essential to this because the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is not a Christmas novel. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? Right. And so they've just added some Christmas window dressing to this, but you'd never have this accepted as a script for anything other than a Christmas episode. And what that shows is that Moffat is using Christmas as an excuse for weak writing to get weak writing accepted. Because what he's counting on is the audience is going to be in this kind of romantic Christmas mood where they're going to be more forgiving of crap writing, and <laughs> and so and so he's 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 letting his guard down and is uh, cashing in on Christmas as an artist by delivering subpar art and and counting on the spirit of the season to get it a pass mm-hmm. i feel like in one in one sense it could also be 
he loved the idea of a Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe Doctor Who special, but couldn't execute it well. And just it, you know, the sunk cost fallacy. I've, I'm in too far. I, I have to. I have to keep going with it. And so he was willing to do it. You know, it, it kind of feels like. He he was in love with the idea of a Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe adaptation, but implemented it wrong. We already talked about mm-hmm. what would have been a much better way, and just went with it. And partly because it's Christmas, I, I get the sense that Doctor Who at Christmas is has a much bigger general audience. It's not just fans. So fans won't take this, but a general audience, Christmas holiday, you're full of Vicky pudding and, you know, cheer. <laughs> Eggnog. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and so you kind of just hanging out in front of the TV to watch, you know, whatever's on TV. And, oh, it's the Doctor Who special. We should all sit and watch it. And it's inoffensive. And, oh, yes, it, it, that was nice. Now, move on. We, we won't watch again Doctor Who again until next Christmas. And I kind of feel like it was kind of shoveled. In, like you said, Jimmy, it was kind of shoveled in like that because, you know, subpar. We just needed a Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I agree with a lot of that. And it, it really... It feels like he had a lot of things he wanted to do, and he crammed them in so badly. Because we haven't even talked about the harvesting crew that's setting right. up the you know acid rain satellites. Oh boy, were they were they unfunny? <laughs> that were just stupid. Um, they were slapstick. They're just yeah, pure slapstick. And it, it just I, I really don't know what you know. I, I think the worst part is maybe you know you know like you're, you're trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, Dom. That's just like yeah, the sun cost fallacy. I almost. I'm almost afraid that maybe he actually thinks he did a good thing here, at least when he first <laughs> wrote it, that it wasn't just the sunk cost policy. And, you know, you, know, you mentioned, Jimmy, how Lion, Witch, the Wardrobe isn't a Christmas story. It really isn't. But I think a lot of people it's think It's an Easter it, story, if anything. Yeah, 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 but a lot of people think of that because it, there's the line that's repeated. Always winter, never Christmas. Right. It's always winter in Narnia, but it's never Christmas. You know, and that's where people, I think, get stuck on that. Oh, this is a Christmas story. You're right, though. It is very much an Easter, uh, you know, passion, death, and resurrection story than it is right. uh, mm-hmm. Christmas. Yeah, because the witch's hold, winter hold, it gets broken fairly early in the book anyway. Yeah. Since we're going for Stephen Moffat's psychology in writing this, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll throw in my theory, which is that he realized he did the best Christmas special he, had, he, would, he would ever do. Uh-huh. after a christmas carol and he was intimidated and said what am i going to do for a follow up well the i for the for the for the best one i'm ever going to do i i adapted a classic children's novel so maybe going back to that well will result in something passable so mm-hmm. i'll get i'll go back and get another classic children's novel the lion the witch and the wardrobe and adapt that, and hopefully that will at least be acceptable by comparison. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was just thinking, of like, what other ones does he come up with next? So next, the next year, it's The Snowmen. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he, at some point, he completely abandons Christmas themes and goes to like, ca- uh, Captain Dr. Mysterio. Mysterio. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Mysterio. Dr. Yeah. Mysterio is great, but yes. it's yeah. precisely because he's no longer trying to do this Christmas, overly Christmassy thing. It just is a good story that happens to largely take place exactly. at Christmas. Right, right. And then the addition of this whole like environmental message, like the acid rain in the trees. I mean, it's supposed to be, oh, how horrible, you know, a- acid rain, you know, uh, we have to save the planet. And 
It's like, what else can you shove into this episode? Yeah. Like, it just, it just felt like you're shoveling stuff in and mad. Like, who, like, I just didn't make any sense. The trees, the sentient trees, and like nothing got established or followed through. You know, that, that military, that slapstick crew there, the, the, the harvesters were there for like two minutes and then gone. Like nothing is established. Nothing is really, it just feels all kind of manic and crazy. Yeah, I, I I could, even though I was sensitive to the acid rain environmental message, it's like, yeah, okay, at least they're not, at least they're not milking this to death. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's, they're not doing an Orphan 55 or, you <laughs> yeah. know, what Chris Chibnall would do with this. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I could kind of give that a pass. But what is much harder to give a pass to are some of the other things. There is flat, unfunny writing in this. Mm-hmm. And apparently, if I read it correctly, like the a lot of the guest stars are comedians by trade, and they're not given a lot to work with because the writing is so unfunny. Right. And there's this emotional disconnection between the tragedy that this family has, you know, waiting in the wings that the mom is hiding and the comedy. And you're you're not effectively this is not you can you can do tragedy and comedy next to each other in a limited way, especially if you're doing dark comedy. But this is not dark comedy. This is light comedy. Right. And it doesn't fit well with the mom is keeping the the kid's dad's death secret from them theme. Because you need to play, you need to keep reminding the audience that dad is dead in order to set up the ending. Right. But then you need to keep jumping back between that and the comedy, and it doesn't work. Also, what I really hate about this episode is the mommy worship mm. that is involved. Now, we have now in I've read, you know, books about the making of, for example, Star Trek. And right. I've read ones that are detailed enough that they go into the memos, you know, that were like passing back and forth as they were doing script development on the original series. And you'll have people like the producers, you know, Gene Roddenberry and Herb Justman and DC Fontana saying, okay, we've got this new script, but it has this thing in it that we did just five episodes ago. We need to change this part. Mm-hmm. And and that happens repeatedly. They were very conscious of mm-hmm. not repeating the same tropes in close proximity to each other. And they had 26 episodes uh, per season, so they had to come up with a lot of plot ideas. Mm-hmm. Right. Moffat only has like 13 that he needs to do to fill a season, so it's half that. Mm-hmm. And this season was split in two parts over two years. So he really only has six episodes, counting the Christmas special, for this whole year. Okay, how many of those involve parental love magically solving the problem at the end? Mm. Of the six, it's three of them. Huh. We, have, we have the father's love solving the problem in Night Terrors, where you have the creepy the creepy dollhouse. Mm-hmm. We have Craig's love solving the Cybermen problem magically at the end of closing time. And then we have the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe, where Mother Love magically solves the problem at the end again. We've had, in if you discount the first episode, which is an arc episode, you get parental love magically solves everything, something else, 
parental love magically solves everything, something else, and then parental ma- love magically solves everything. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is just ridiculous to have this trope used so many times in, in, in that brief space. And it's used so heavy-handedly here that you have the Indiana Jones problem, almost, because the doctor is basically irrelevant to this mm-hmm. plot. Yeah. His only contribution to the plot is he provides the technology that gets them to the magical fairy Christmas fairyland, and then he is just a, a kind of a bungler providing exposition and commentary from there on out, and everything is driven by mom. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who does everything. Women are strong, men are weak. They even hang a lantern on that. Yeah. They have this mothership that they're mm-hmm. going up into the time vortex. She is Mother Christmas instead of Father Christmas, in the doctor's words. All the doctor does is is play Glinda the Good Witch and say, just, you've got to think of home right now. Just say, there's no place like home <laughs> to yourself, and click your heels, and we'll go back to England in 1941. Everything else is mom. She is the protagonist of this, and, and she's not the guest star. She's the hero, and she just m- magically does all of this stuff as some kind of tribute to mothers, I guess, but it, it, she's just an ordinary woman. And so it, I really don't like the mother worship in this. Well, it, it almost feels like a um, counter reaction to Russell T. Davies, you know, because Russell T. Davies clearly had some mother issues. See Jackie Tyler, <laughs> see, right. uh, you know, all these mothers, all these parents who are just absolute, either just completely incompetent or overly shrill. Right. Yeah, that's true. And Donna's mom. Yeah. Donna's mom, even though she, yeah. she kind of gets redeemed kind of throughout. But yeah. It's uh, it, it's it, it's it's either one way or the other. It's either mothers are the most wonderful thing in the world and they're going to save the world and travel through space and time, or mothers are the most evil things in the world and they have got all kinds of issues and baggage that you have to deal with. And there doesn't seem to be kind of any balance there at all. Yeah. But it really does seem like a response to to the Russell T Davies era where it got that got just as bad the other way. I was going to say it was like was. Does anyone know if something was going on in in uh, in uh, Moffat's life around 2011? Was he? I mean, you know, I, I said that half joking, but like, uh, I wonder, like, if he if his mom died or if he was having family problems or, or something that was really like f- making him create these stories. But I wonder too, is yeah, it, maybe it is a reaction to someone said, "Hey, look, we've got to you know be a little more mom mom positive about things or a parent positive in Doctor mm-hmm. Who uh, because it's a kid show or something." Uh, but you know that's a good point to me about the doctor is 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 pretty much irrelevant apart from providing the portal. Mm-hmm. He just he he basically follows along, including the the I I don't get what the boy was doing. Like why why was the boy following the footsteps? Like I like I don't understand his any of his motivation. Okay, so I we don't they could have done this one better. They. The boy, when he first comes into the Christmas Wonderland, he finds a tree that has an ornament growing off of it. Right. And then he sees the ornament get bigger and drop off the tree. Yeah. And it, and it cracks open. And he sees something in the emerging from the ornament, which is like an egg. 
And then we cut away from him. And the next thing we know, the doctor and the daughter are following his footsteps, and he's following the footsteps of something that's getting bigger. So the implication is he saw the—so they have these wooden tree people in here. There's a king and a queen. And they're basically like, I guess, maybe tree beard with all of the all of the leaves picked mm-hmm. off of him. <laughs> right. But they're people made out of wood. And one of them is vaguely kingly. One of them is vaguely queenly. And the what we're meant to understand is that the boy saw the king hatch. Mm-hmm. And, and the king has then rapidly grown from being small enough to fit in a Christmas ornament to mm. being larger than a human being. Right. And the boy followed him to this tower that's in the middle of the woods just to see what was up with this weird little creature. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, and the, the wood statues looked, I thought they looked cool. I thought they really looked yeah. cool. They were kind of like old statues that were cracked. And, and I kept waiting know. for say, I am Groot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they do kind of look a little like that too, though. But Yeah, yeah. They they look cool, but and then they can't speak, so they have to do like some te- telepathy or something where they touch the person and the person speaks for them, and or they use right. his his voice to speak, and that was a little little odd. I mean, it can be okay that they don't explain everything. What what's the purpose of the two avatars of the forest are for, and why why they exist in the tower and How all that they sort built of stuff. the spaceship to get away. Right, like they don't. I mean, I, I you don't have to explain every jot and tittle of the the of the myth of the, of the story, I guess. But gosh, some of it would have been nice. Like this, mm-hmm. all this, all this other nonsense that happens that we don't really get. Like nothing ever gets much of an explanation. We're just supposed to come along for the crazy ride and and not ask too many questions of of the story. Yeah, and they throw in some fan service for the longtime fans, mm-hmm. I guess, to distract from that because it turns <laughs> out that the 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 harvesters of the forest are from Androzani Major, mm-hmm. and so oh. if you're if you're a long t- and they have these Androzani things, so yep. if if you're a longtime fan, you're going to recognize the name Androzani Major as the twin of Androzani Minor, which is where uh, the fifth Doctor, Peter Davison's regeneration took place. Right. Which is a classic story, and so they're harking back to that just as a place name. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of fan service in there for the longtime fans, but they're, it's, it's embedded in a story that it doesn't really contribute anything to because mm-hmm. there are no other links to that story. It's just a place name. Right. Right. It's It's... It's in a story that just doesn't work on its own. Right. Well, and the, the trees are supposedly Androzani trees, so I don't know if like this is a harv- a planet that they've turned into a giant uh, nursery or something, mm-hmm. tree farm, you know, but it, it's, right. yeah, it's just, it's something that's thrown out there so quick, and it's just kind of like Stephen, Stephen Moffat going, see old fans, see you know, classic Who fans, we, I still got you, I still got you, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I just realized there was another uh, um, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe reference, the, the house the manor house that they went to belonged to mm-hmm. Uncle Digby, right? And yeah. Professor Digby was the country home that they went to. So yeah, that's another another callback for the Narnia fans. It is interesting. It's once again the Doctor. It's it's a story where the Doctor is d- trying to do something nice for someone and it goes wrong. You know, mm-hmm. hey, I'm giving you a gift, but it turns out to be a dangerous, deadly gift. Mm-hmm. That happens. A f- that's happened a few times throughout Who, 
uh, or at least knew who. I'm not sure about uh, about a classic, but uh, so that I, I noticed that about it. The wood ship becomes a star for Reg's plane to follow to Christmas, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. the Christmas, Christmas star. star image. Yeah. yeah, even though the Magi did not actually follow the star, but yes, yes, <laughs> popular imagination. <laughs> well, then when the ship when the the plane lands, it's only the dad that comes out. Yeah, where did else go? <laughs> I had I had that in my notes. It's like, wait, there were two other living people on that plane. At least. And and at yeah. least. And suddenly they're not relevant to the story, so they cease to exist. Right. Yes. A- another and one of these elements of this like you said, poor writing. It's just we we're we're not it's like it's like we're telling a, a fairy tale or bedtime story. Like you, mm-hmm. in a bedtime story to the kids, you don't put in every detail, you don't, you know, close the loops, you don't tie up the loose ends. You just tell a bedtime story. And this is what it is. It's a it's a bedtime story, but it's it, it 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 that's not what a TV show should be. But yeah, um, let's talk a bit about this uh, final scene with Amy uh, mostly and a little bit of Rory. Uh, it worked okay. I mean, it, it's it was nice. It's it's always nice to have uh you know Amy and Rory and the Doctor doing their their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I like he, that I like that Amy squirted the doctor with the water pistol for staying away for two years. Yes, yes, and the fact that he thinks that she and Rory have thought he's dead for two, for the, all this time, but they knew he was alive. Mm-hmm. So, so they and they were waiting for him to come. They have no way to contact him otherwise. Well, I I mean, I it's kind of should they should yeah. because they should have his phone number, right? Yeah, but I thought that it was irresponsible for the doctor even though river told them he's alive i think it's irresponsible for the doctor to let them think he's dead for two years yeah yes i think so uh because what harm is he going to do by telling them that he's alive you know that's yeah he's the whole everyone else needs to think he's dead he can trust them and they're his parents-in-law and his (laughs) companions he should he should and his best friends at the moment he should let the people that close to him know that right. he's alive and trust them not to tell the Daleks or whatever. Yeah. And, and I mean, the whole, the whole thing with the two years, of course, you know, they're the line of, I'm not sure how long it's been because of course the TARDIS being the TARDIS, but still, yeah, no, yeah. I agree. It, it definitely should be uh, uh, at least, and especially since again, as, as Amy says, you know, River told us she's a good girl. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we saw that scene. Yeah. So, there was this running bit throughout the episode about, about, you know, happy tears versus sad tears. You know, the whole Madge didn't want to tell the kids that their father's dead. The doctor says at the time, every time you see them happy, it reminds you of how sad they're going to be and it breaks your heart. And, and what's the point of them being happy if they're going to be sad later? And he says the answer is because they're going to be sad later. So and, which mm-hmm. the implication is they should be happy now. And and then there's a the whole thing about happy tears and sad tears throughout the episode where he sees the kids. And at the end, you know, when he gets invited into Christmas dinner with Amy and Rory, because they always, and she says, it's a place set for you because there's always a place set for you at, at our table. And they go inside because the doctor's apparently Elijah. Uh, so yeah. they, <laughs> they, they go in and the doctor stops and he's crying happy tears. What did you think of that? Was that a little too cheesy, a little over the top? Was, was that happy tears though? I thought, she gave him like one last squirt in the face, and that's what he. I felt like it was impl- touched, the implication was it was, it was the implication happy tears. was, but was he actually crying? It. Yeah. Well, that's true. I I didn't care. 
Okay. This whole happy, happy tears, sad tears thing did not land for me at all because I hated this episode so much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I agree. I didn't I didn't like this episode very much at all. There mm-hmm. uh, and, and like I said before, there are elements of it that I uh, did I did like, but I think the biggest thing for me is it, it's just a wasted opportunity to do a really good Narnia episode of Doctor Who, yeah. and that's the big thing. Yeah, I, I there are also elements of it that I I enjoyed and that I thought were well done, but they're like uh, they're embedded <laughs> in this big mess. Then, <laughs> right. Overall, yeah. So. Well, last thoughts, Father Corey? So we've had stories we've watched that I didn't like the first time I saw it. Second time, you know, we watch it. It's like, okay, this is this is improved. We've had stories we've watched that I didn't like when we first watched it, and I still don't like. And then there's this. (laughs) I think the first time I saw it was kind of like you talk about, you know, being fat and happy on Christmas dinner and a a little (laughs) bit of eggnog with with a little addition. And it was like, okay, whatever. Oh, no, it's it. It hasn't it. It hasn't stabilized. It's gotten worse. So, <laughs> I, 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 Stephen Moffat, I want my two hours back. I say two <laughs> hours because there's the hour of watching it the first time, and then there's the hour of watching it this time. I want that time back. <laughs> right, right. Jimmy, how about you? Any last thoughts? Yeah, I didn't like it the first time, and I liked it less this time. That's why okay. I've only seen this one twice. <laughs> okay, all right. I mean, that's the thing is, I've seen, is a, I've seen a Christmas Carol many times because mm-hmm. yeah. I love that and I show that to other people. But yeah. no, this one I've only watched twice, once because I didn't know what it was going to be and once because I needed to do it for this show. <laughs> yeah. Once because we made you. <laughs> uh, still better than Moon Egg. That's all I can say about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a pretty low bar to clear. It's a pretty low bar Maybe. to clear. We'll see Just... when we get back to Moon Egg. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know. I know. There may, there, there may be a tie here. Oh, anyway. All right, let's wrap that up. Uh, We do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Dalton H., uh, Hind, James M., Rick H., and Adam C. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Doctor, The Widow, and The Wardrobe? I know there must be someone out there who who loved it. So uh, we want to hear from you, because there's something for everyone, and our opinion is not necessarily the the right one. Probably is right on this. But let's just say that, okay? We want to hear from you. What do you think of it? You can comment on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email to Doctor Who at sqpn.com and we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the fourth Doctor story The Brain of Morbius Ooh, good, I'm looking <laughs> forward to this one <laughs> Until Yes, we go from bad to good Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who Normally I would say thanks Dom, but thanks Dom <laughs> <laughs> I made you Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well Thanks Dom And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, please stop crying. I can't interrogate you when you're crying. Right. This is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs>